Hey, welcome to Cinema Scene on Gardner Webb University Radio. Noel T. Manning II here. Adam Long there. Adam from Focus Newspaper. How are you, bud? Doing fine. Doing yeah, fine. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to hear it. It is. Uh, it is award season, and it's also uh, it's also the time of year that you get your box office. Uh, frenzy it kind of stirred up with uh, with films that are going to do well around Thanksgiving and uh, yeah your blockbuster kind of films I mean that we, we've got a little of both so for for film critics uh, it's kind of a happy time to be honest with you um, to be uh, be able to dive into to these uh, to these things and talk about these films and for you and me both um, we get a chance to see some of these films and we have to ask ourselves okay is it okay to talk about it now or do we have to wait? Uh, because some of these films we uh, we get screened uh, get screened them a lot earlier than uh, than others, and uh, that's definitely been happening this week. And uh, this week there's been uh, uh, screenings of uh, films uh, Nocturnal Animals, uh, which uh, we can talk about because that's got limited release this weekend. Also, uh, with the big one that a lot of people are talking about, over four thousand theaters, Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them. You and I will talk about that. We uh, got a screening. For that one as well, Manchester by the Sea opens uh, in very limited release for theaters uh, coming up this weekend. That will be expanding, of course. Rules don't apply. We'll talk about that, even though it's not scheduled for release until next week. And then uh, one that's not uh, able, uh, scheduled to be released until Christmas uh, Christmas weekend is A Monster Calls, and I cannot officially talk about that. But uh, I will I will say this. Uh, one of my favorites of the year. I can say that without giving anything else uh, away on it, but it's on my list at this point uh, as one of my one of my top five of the year. So, uh, Adam, I hope you're doing well this week, man. No, I'm doing okay. Yeah, uh, excellent. Just, uh, fresh in off uh, a trek uh, out to big old Los Angeles, and uh, so uh, yeah, I just came in uh, the the day before we were taping this. I just got back in and. Uh, there's a lot going on out there. Yeah, you got I to spend a lot in. Yeah, you got to spend some time watching Jimmy Kimmel, and then you uh, went to a. Did you go to a screening or just the red carpet hangout uh, with The Rock and uh, Jimmy Kimmel for uh, well, Moana? I did the whole thing. Very I, good. I had the, I had the Kim, Kim, Kimmel tickets, and uh, so uh, I was in the audience. Uh, I was told you can see me uh, if you look hard enough uh, <laughs> on the Monday night show. And so I, uh, while we were there, The Rock made the announcement. He was the guest, and he made the announcement that anybody that wanted to go to the world premiere of Moana, which he's supplying one of the voices in the film, uh, that they could he would be back after the show, and we could just follow him down the red carpet because it was right across the street at the uh, at the Dolby Theater where the Academy Awards are held every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I said, well, there's no way that I'm going to turn that down. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's very cool. Yeah, I was supposed to have dinner with a friend out there, and I had to text him real quickly and tell him that uh, uh, the, I had been personally invited by The Rock to go to the <laughs> world premiere of Moana. And he said, well, when The Rock calls, you have That's to right. say yes. <laughs> yeah, when the sexiest man in the world calls, you got you got to follow, right? <laughs> yeah. But he was about ten feet in front of me. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, literally. Yeah. Uh, walking down the red carpet with Jimmy Kimmel, and uh, I didn't actually get to talk to him because you know there's a lot going on. But right. but it was it was a weird feeling because I was on the opposite side. You know, normally you're uh, on, behind the ropes. I was inside the ropes. Yeah. Uh, literally yeah. walking down the red carpet, uh, and that was a, that was an odd feeling. There was flash bulbs popping everywhere and all that stuff. And, so, so did I you? I may did, even wind up in some of those press booths <laughs> that are out there. Who knows? Well, well did you turn and get? Say, but 
But anyway, the movie, we saw it. I, I really don't know that I can talk about it quite yet because it doesn't come out until next Friday. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Well, but, let me uh, ask you but, this, uh, Adam. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you were walking on the red carpet, did you did you turn and smile and give some of your, your perfect model poses so the <laughs> uh, the press could get those shots of you? I did the best I yeah, could with what yeah. I have to work with. I'll put it that way. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's not that well, there's a lot, but yeah. uh, I tried my best. Well, I'm, I'm glad uh, glad you got a chance to take advantage of that, and uh, that's that's fun, man. I'm glad you glad you enjoyed it as well. Well, let's talk about the movie that is definitely going to be on uh, everyone's mind uh, this weekend. Uh, everyone's minds, and uh, that's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Uh, definitely going to be the number one film. I don't see anything having a shot at uh, taking this uh, uh, taking this out because uh, the only other wide release films you've got is Edge of Seventeen, which is a coming of age comedy, uh, and limited uh, well wide release, but uh, less than two thousand. And then Bleed for this, the uh, the biopic sports drama um, that also is uh, is being released uh, this weekend and uh, just around fifteen hundred theaters but fantastic beast and where to find them huge uh huge release uh 4000 plus uh, names like ron perlman john voight colin farrell uh all show up in this including oscar winner uh, eddie redmayne uh and the and the lead role uh this um, harry potter prequel spinoff is probably the best way to describe this it is uh in in the um, the harry potter universe it's a long film uh, two hours 20 minutes long uh for this uh for this film fantasy uh, and it's everything that you would, uh, a lot of the things that you would expect from a Harry Potter film. Uh, huge on the special effects end of things. Um, some uh, some interesting humor that, uh, that that really is in many ways kind of the British humor that'll that'll pop up. Uh, also, uh, the musical score, a very strong musical score. Those are things you all expect. As far and also uh, wizards uh, and mayhem and uh, at, at times mass destruction. All of those things rolled in. To one, the film uh, takes place in 1926 uh, in the U.S. And uh, I'll let you dive in to give a, a, a brief, uh, brief synopsis of the story, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, the things we uh, liked and disliked about this. Well, oh, the red main character—he's a magician who's been—he uh, carries this uh, suitcase with him, and uh, uh, and it's a really kind of a portal to another world, uh, and all these imaginary well not imaginary these fantastic beasts of the uh, the film's title they exist inside this this uh, alternate reality or whatever that's inside the suitcase and so somehow these creatures have gotten loose in the city they've escaped from uh, fantasy land and they've crossed over into our world and so he's in new york trying to corral all these beasts up and get them back in the suitcase where they belong and and he uh, crosses paths with a, a guy and of course this is you know, in the mid twenties, when uh, things were a lot different, some people were struggling financially, and uh, you've got a character here. Although it's kind of odd when you think about it, because uh, the depression didn't happen until 1929. But you, you've got this one character in the film; he's kind of struggling along. But anyway, he he wants to be a baker, and uh, he punches a clock every day in a factory, and so. But he's he's not really happy with his life. But he. Uh, he and uh, the uh, the the uh, magician played by Eddie Redmayne they team up and go around the city looking for these creatures and trying to put them together. And then there's a there's another uh, there's a, another character here who is actually she's kind of like a magician detective and she goes around looking for magicians who are on the run and doing this sort of thing. So she's trying to catch him and 
and they kind of have a, a little love uh, thing that eventually develops between them. And, and of course, the worst-kept secret out there is that uh, Johnny Depp shows up at, in the film's finale as the... Uh, the villain, the Boldermont, the Boldermont, so to speak, of uh, this film. Uh, you you should you nothing. should have given a little spoiler alert because not everyone knows that. So, uh, <laughs> so oh, uh, it's pretty much <laughs> everything I've read has. I've not read one article that didn't have it listed. Really, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, you're <laughs> you're you're wrong there, Adam. Uh, you, I'm yeah, sorry yeah, if yeah, I am. You're you're wrong on that one, man. But uh, yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, yeah, Johnny Depp shows up. Yeah. Yeah, I could be, but I'm telling you, I must have read a dozen articles about it here in the last uh, couple of days, and every single one of them makes uh, makes hay of the fact that that's, that that's in there. So I thought, well, it must be out there. But <laughs> anyway, uh, but no, it, it's it's a mixed bag for me. The film was. I know a lot of people in the audience they loved it. They were they were hooping and a hollering and going on and just enjoying themselves mightily and. And uh, I heard some people tearing up behind me, and heard some people heard lots of people laughing. And I don't know. The first hour of the movie is just them really chasing after these digital creations. And frankly, I was bored. I'm going to be honest. I was just bored out of my wits after um, about 15 minutes of that. It just seemed like they went on an endless loop for about an hour chasing these creatures. And uh, it, you know, it's just it, it, that just that's not good storytelling. I'm sorry, I'm here to see a story that's going to take me uh, to you know, on a journey that you know I'm that I want to um that I want to be a part of and and just watching some people go around uh, a couple of characters uh collecting these animals, these uh that that um these creatures or whatever that have gotten loose in the city. It just it just doesn't make an exciting time at the movies. Although the film does pick up during the last hour and it it kind of picks up some speed and there's more of a story and uh you kind of get a little uh more into it during that section of the film but uh overall it's just a mixed bag uh i think jk rowling is much better suited as a novelist she's uh terrific of course uh, with the work she's done with the uh, harry potter films and and the new uh, newer stuff she's done since harry potter uh uh since those novels, since she stopped writing those, she's uh, done some other stuff, and I haven't read them, but I've heard they're really her, her work after that has been uh, great too. So uh, she wrote the screenplay here, first time screenwriter, and, and I don't know, I, it just felt really uneven. And you know, Warner Brothers is just really, really banking on this to save them because they've had a hard, hard time, especially with the underperforming Marvel films and and a lot of big, big flops, uh, high profile flops that they've had here of late so anyway mixed bag for me uh i'm sure the potter fans are gonna eat it up but um I, what, what rating uh, do it for me what rating are you giving this uh, i'm gonna give it a b minus okay all right um yeah i thought the uh, as i mentioned earlier i think the music uh, the score from uh, james newton howard was wonderful mm-hmm. uh in this uh the uh many of the visual effects i liked uh, but there were other aspects of the visual effects that just were were when anytime you have um, creatures that are created uh, by the CGI, uh, sometimes it's just so uh, obvious that it's just fake. That yeah. it just and there were a few of those uh, scenes. There was a particular scene that was taking place kind of in a uh, kind of an underground bar, and uh, mm-hmm. a few of those characters just really kind of annoyed me because it was oh, like, yeah. okay, it's just so so fake, and. Uh, I, 
like I said, there were some great effects, but anytime you take characters and do the motion capture, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And, and that was that way with this one. Uh, I thought some of those worked better than others. I thought some of the creatures were fascinating um, with the way they looked. Um, I think there was some uh, wonderful humor on uh, this. There were some great, uh, great lines and some great interactions between um, the humans uh, or the muggles or the uh, nomadges, as they were called for no magic, and, uh, and the wizards and the... I think that was fun, uh, but I do think the uh, you you nailed it on the first hour. The, there was a, a very slow pacing. Um, it was almost uh, too methodical to me. Uh, I think they were trying to tell too many stories, and yeah. you know when you're yeah. trying to create uh, a new franchise, and that's exactly what they're trying to do with this: is create a new franchise. And uh, you know when that happens. Uh, sometimes you, you spend a lot of time doing this backstory and, uh, and that can kind of get in the way of the story you're trying to tell within this particular film. And, uh, and honestly, the whole, uh, you know, searching for the beast and trying to get the beast back into the suitcase, that wasn't the real story. Um, you know, the real story w- was a much deeper story that was, exactly. was kind of this uh, Really used as a, a kind of a subplot uh, device that was actually the greater, the greater, uh, you know, the really the greater story question uh, mm-hmm. that was uh, that was actually opened up early on in the film um, when you were seeing all these newspapers go by that was setting th- they were setting things up. So I, I think uh, I think they spent uh, way too much time uh, trying to you know bring these beasts back into this uh, into this case. And, uh, and 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 the greater story uh, would have been uh, would have served it better if they spent more time on that. Um, I, I think they could have spent easily thirty, you know, thirty, thirty-five, maybe even forty minutes less um, focusing on the whole capturing the beast aspect of it. And I think it would have been a, a better film uh, for it. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, I, I gave this. Uh, I was caught between a B and B minus, and I'm going to move it up to a B only because uh, after uh, sitting around and listening and talking to the Potter fans, uh, understanding the director's intent, uh, this will appeal to the Potter fans. Uh, for those that that are um, that are in love with that universe, they're going to they're going to go to this, um, and uh, and and also I think this is a, a film that can appeal to uh, to families of kids that are. You know, uh, over uh, over eight nine years old, um, you get some of the young kids. There's some pretty dark dark things that happen in this mm-hmm. that that could scare some of the younger kids. That's but true. Uh, but I'm gonna give it um, I'm gonna give it a B because of um, uh, you know really because of the the audience and the director's intent and uh, you know it, it will it will work for that. But unlike you, I've caught between if if, if I was leaving all of that aside, it would be a B minus. Um, so yeah, that's uh, fantastic beast where to find them, uh, opening in over 4,000 plus theaters, uh, over uh, the course of, uh, of this weekend. Uh, also, uh, in, uh, not in theaters yet, but, uh, let's talk about, uh, about a film with Annette Benning uh, and her hubby. Uh, let's, let's get your thoughts on, uh, on that new film where rules just don't apply. Yeah, this is a a film that I was really excited about. I mean, anybody that knows me knows I'm just a walking, talking encyclopedia of Howard Hughes trivia. Uh, I've read four bios of the man, and, uh, you know, he's just an endlessly fascinating character, uh, probably one of the most interesting characters of the 20th century, uh, public figures, that is. He's just, his his hands were in so many different things uh, that, uh, that um, 
bled into different parts of American culture, you know. So he, he is a figure that, that is deserving of a, of a good film. We we had one great film, I think, The Aviator, uh, in 2004, which covered yes. the younger years, but there's never been a really warts and all uh, look at the last half of his life, which is really where it got, to me, the very interesting. That's the most interesting chapter, um, where he was manipulating uh, the government in some ways and, and, and just buying up huge amounts, basically bought the entire city of uh, of Las Vegas at one point, <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, and yeah, there's just yeah. all kinds of fascinating ways you could go about, you know, telling this story. But but what's happened is, and this is supposed to be a look at the uh, later years of Howard Hughes, uh, and this is a project that uh, Warren Beatty has wanted to make for the last 35 years, I believe he said, something like that. So anyway, he, he's, he's been talking about this, talking about it, talking about it, so now he's made it. And it's really a disappointment. It really is. I mean, he, Howard Hughes, the Howard Hughes character, is actually a supporting character in the film. Um, he doesn't even show up until 20 minutes into the movie. That's one thing. Uh, another thing is that um, uh, when he does show up, uh, you know, he, his performance, he, he kind of plays it in a light tone, you know, almost as a comic buff, buffoon. And, uh, and, of course, there were some buff- uh, comedic aspects to his character, I will admit that, but but you know playing it completely like this is not doesn't quite work for me. Um, uh, the main plot is between this girl played by I think it's Lily Collins that, that plays the uh, the main character yep. and uh, yeah uh, they uh, she shows up in uh, L.A. in uh, 1958 we're told and. Uh, she, Howard Hughes had this penchant for putting uh, young girls under a contract, and um, he uh, puts her under a contract, and eventually they meet, and uh, and then she also uh, kind of falls for uh, his driver, uh, Howard Hughes' driver, which is uh, played by uh, Alden Ehrenreich, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's going to be playing uh, the young Han Solo in the uh, upcoming uh, the Han Solo prequel. So, uh, anyway, they, they wind up falling in love. It's a very conventional story. Uh, you've seen it. Uh, it's just boy meets girl, and he's he's already attached, and he's not supposed to be having an affair with her because he's supposed to be strictly business when he's on Hughes's, uh on the clock, so to speak, working for Hughes, and uh, and, and they they fall, and they can't, they have to keep it away from Howard Hughes, and and then Howard Hughes eventually becomes smitten with her, and there's a scene where uh, he, he kind of makes out with her, and you can't help but wonder if the old Warren Beatty just didn't put that scene in there so it would give him an opportunity to make out with Lily Collins <laughs> on screen. And, uh, the movie has all kinds of editorial problems. Yeah. Scenes will start, and they don't finish. Like there's a scene where, uh, there's, uh, where Howard Hughes was in an earthquake in Nicaragua, and uh, they show the, the room shaking and moving, and he says, I know how to handle earthquakes. And then two seconds later, the scene ends. And it's never referred to again. Wow. And that wow. happens over and over wow. in the film. And they have four editors on this thing. And it's just it's really just a mess in a lot of places. It, it seems they start, they don't finish. Right. Uh, timelines have been switched around for no discernible reason. Uh, you know, there's a chapter in Hughes' life. In 1971, he had to... Uh, do a telephone call live in front of a, uh, a bunch of reporters to prove that uh, he had nothing to do with this 
supposed autobiography written by Clifford Irving. And uh, this Clifford Irving guy had uh, written a book, and he claimed that Howard Hughes uh, that he did interviews with Hughes, and that uh, it, it that that he had um, asked him to write a biog- his autobiography or his memoirs, and he had to prove that that wasn't true. Well, they changed the timeline to 1964, and they also changed Clifford Irving's name to some other guy you you know I, I, some unrecognizable name. And I'm thinking to myself, why would they do this? Everybody knows the Clifford Irving story. If you know any, if you lived during that time, you certainly know it. Uh, you know when it happened. Why? Why? I mean, it makes no sense at all that you would switch this time frame from 1964, from 71 to 64, and it's just there's all kinds of stuff like that all through the movie where they've they've changed timelines. They have him flying the Spruce Goose. Uh, at some point in the film, and it's like 1958. Well, the Spruce Goose was not flown again after the 40s, and it was put in a hangar in uh, in um, Long Beach. And so, you know, it's just the technical, uh, the uh, detail, the attention to de- detail is not there. Scenes begin and, and don't finish, and uh, there's a conventional story at, at the heart of the movie, and so it's just really, it's a mess. And I hate to say that because I really was excited about this. I was looking forward to seeing it and hoping it would be you know, the the movie that we all wanted, because Warren Beatty's a good filmmaker, but this is just not it. I'm sorry. It's yeah, and he's the uh, writer and director for the for this film as well. Yeah. Uh, what Producer rating? Producer too, I believe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, what rating are you giving this? Uh, I'm going to give it a C plus, I guess. All right, I'll, and, uh, and the, the name of the film? Uh, rules Don't Apply. Rules Don't Apply, opening uh, Thanksgiving uh, weekend. And um, there you go, Warren Beatty, Annette Bening, and um, a huge cast. Uh, in this uh, in this film, as far as a lot of names um, that that people uh, would recognize, uh, everybody from Matthew Broderick to um, Ed Harris, Alec Baldwin, Oliver Platt, Candace Bergen shows up. Uh, let's see who have I missed? Martin Sheen, I think, is in this as well. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of faces and names that that people will see uh, if they watch that film. But that does not always mean for uh, a stellar film. Um, that's true. Good deal. And what was your rating again? C plus. Oh, that's a C plus. C plus. All right. Uh, Nocturnal Animals is opening in limited release this weekend. Uh, Amy Adams and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal star in this uh, kind of drama thriller film noir kind of piece uh, about uh, uh, a well-to-do uh, art gallery um, exec who's uh, in a. She's in this kind of run-of-the-mill marriage that just has outlived its usefulness. And uh, arriving uh, from FedEx or UPS or whoever happens to deliver stuff, uh, she gets this, uh, this novel manuscript that's sent to her that happens to be from uh, a guy that she was married to almost two decades ago. And uh, he, he basically said, you know, this book is, is for you, uh, in, inspired by you, and I, I, you know, I want you to, to read it before it hits the shelves. So uh, what, you, what you see is you're seeing uh, three different stories play out. You're seeing uh, Amy Adams' character um, living her life um, as mundane as it is. She's got all the money that she would probably need in the world. She's, she seems to have, have things like she needs them, uh, although um, you know looks can things can be deceiving um, from from the outside looking in. Um, but then you also have these flashbacks to uh, the time period when she met this uh, her original husband from twenty years ago, 
Um, and, and then you've also got the story within the story. So you're seeing her read the book. Nocturnal Animals is the name of the book. And, uh, and that book is a very, um, it's a very brutal book about a, a family who's um, trying to travel uh, during the night to avoid some uh, traffic. And then they get uh, accosted by some, uh, some crazy deliverance-themed rednecks from uh, from from Texas, uh, and they're in the middle of nowhere, and well, let's just say that things do not end well for them. And so you're you're seeing that story unfold as well. So there there's some interesting things happening. I think the story within the story was a was a much better story, but there are symbolisms to what was happening with uh, within that uh, that was unfolding and kind of the turn that her life uh, has taken. And so I think the, the symbolism of, of the crime story and the real life that she was experiencing was interesting, but it wasn't, it, it, it didn't click to me. Um, there were a lot of little Easter eggs. Tom Ford uh, directed and wrote this as well. Uh, it, it's probably the strangest opening for a film I've ever seen. It starts out with, um, with, dance, uh, with dancing naked women on screen as part of this art exhibit. Uh, and they're not the kind of dancing. Uh, they're not the kind of dancing humans that that we're most uh, usually accustomed to to seeing dance. And uh, it gets kind of odder from there. Um, the the accents in the movie, uh, the Texas accents, were really bad and distracting. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, who I typically really really like, uh, I, I thought it was a it was a bad acting job uh, for me in this. Uh, I, I did think it was uh, creative from a storytelling standpoint, uh, and it was unique, but it didn't work. Um, you know, some films are different, uh, and, and some films are difficult and different to watch, and this is one of those. The subject matter is difficult to watch in, in certain scenes, um, but there's just in, this inconsistency, Adam. Um, sometimes the, the editing is really uh, amazing, and other times it's just kind of slow, and the, the pacing's off. And the constant shift between the 20 years ago timeline, the current timeline, and the story within the story, it just doesn't work. Uh, to me, if you're going to show somebody 20 years ago, there need, really needs to be a very clear definition of uh, a change in the way they look, uh, not just adding eyeliner on somebody to make them look 20 years older. So uh, I, I've got a lot of issues with it. and I, I do think the cinematography was quite, quite creative, but um, but overall, I, I, I was uh, I was really really disappointed in where this uh, where this could have gone. I think um, the creativity of this film really took place of the substance, and um, I did love the crime thriller uh, the crime thriller aspect of it. But um, but as a whole, um, there were, there were just too many too many issues, and so uh, this this gets a C plus for me. That's Nocturnal Animals. Uh, I had high hopes for it, but it does have a, a, a cast uh, that, that you will recognize. And, um, and, and one of the Sheen brothers actually shows up in a cameo. And uh, there are certain scenes that are thrown in that, that you were talking about that, that just didn't make sense and rules don't apply. I felt the same way with Nocturnal Animals. Um, I think it could have, been, uh, could have been something different, but I know it was trying to base it on, uh, on a, uh, you know, based on original work. Um, or a, a previous work. This was adapted, and it is uh, it is a psychodrama by by every means. And uh, but it's no Hitchcock, it's no Kubrick, and it's uh, it, it's got more David Lynch than it does uh, anything else. So uh, that's my take on Nocturnal Animals. Well, I was curious about that one, 
and I'm still curious, but uh, my my uh, enthusiasm may have been dampered a little bit there. <laughs> no, you you you'll enjoy it. You'll you'll uh, you'll and I like I said I did appreciate uh, quite a few things uh, about it, but um, I appreciated those things in parts, not as a whole. And so as I look at the film as a whole, it just did not measure up for me. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Yep, it does. I mean, you know, and like you say, this is award season, so uh, you know, it's 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 become that time of year where they try to they 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 basically give us ten months of of junk and then try to cram uh, for uh, every quality film in a forty five day window. And uh, so that's exactly <laughs> that's right. What the movie system is. That, that is the, a... the, the movie studios. That's the the what they've gotten down to at yep. this point. And and it's really frustrating to me, you know, why they try to just shove everything at us within a forty five day period. It's it's ridiculous. It used to be, you know, they'd start that in September and and they'd kind of trickle down, give you a little time to breathe. And it's like we got to cram these in. I mean, there were. Two screenings, two daytime screenings for the critics yesterday. I didn't get to attend them. I was on a plane coming back from L.A., but there were two daytime screenings for two very high-profile yep. movies. And I think this week there's like five or six altogether. Yeah. Something yeah, like that, uh, oh, high-profile. Yeah. Not to mention the mainstream stuff like Fantastic Beasts. I think there's probably close to ten movies that they're screening this week. Yep, you are exactly right. I'm looking at the list here, and there, uh, yeah, there are ten films uh, that were screened between Monday and Friday, uh, and that's 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 way too much. I mean, that's way way too much. I'm not I'm not complaining as a person who loves film, but oh, I'm, um, I'm, but I'm you, not either on yeah. that end of it. But it just it it just seems really. Uh, it's almost like they 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 want they want the Oscar caliber. They want to, you know, get get that. Uh, get that jewel in the crown, so to speak, and say, oh, we've got an Oscar nominee, but they really, they, they don't, uh, they want to try to spend as much, to, to the last minute, they're going to try to milk as much money as they can from all these franchise films and all that stuff, uh, and then shove these awards contenders in at the last possible minute, almost like, well, we need to do this because we need a little awards credibility. Yeah, exactly, let, let, exactly. Let's see if we can just squeeze these in. Yeah. We, let, let's just take a break from from uh, making uh, uh barrel fulls of money uh, yeah. for a couple of weeks and, yeah. and get ready. <laughs> and so we have to scramble to try yeah. to find time to see all this stuff. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think a work season needs to last a little bit longer. They need to right. spread these things out a bit more. And uh, I really do. And uh, for the uh, critics choice awards this year, it's really tough for us because the, uh, the deadline for us is like two weeks early so our nominating ballads uh, go out like uh, November twenty eighth, and normally it's uh, it's kind of mid December, and so yeah. mm-hmm. so studios are also having to scramble um, to to make sure that we get a chance to to see a lot of these films uh, for yeah. those that are the voting members. Uh, and I know the Critics Choice, uh, and the reason for that is uh, they are they are definitely wanting to kind of uh, be up front before the uh, the Golden Globes, and oh, I, under- yeah, I understand it. I understand the reasoning for it, but. Uh, uh, the decision was made a little later than I would have uh, would have hoped, and that does leave the studio scrambling. And so it's uh, the next couple of weeks are going to be nuts. Uh, let me just say that. Well, man, uh, as always, Adam, it's great to, great to have you talking with us about movies. Um, quick overview of last weekend: Doctor Strange was number one uh, last weekend as well, uh, 152 million dollars uh, over two weeks uh, in the U.S. and worldwide. Uh, at half a billion dollars, so it's uh, definitely finding uh, finding an audience uh, with a different kind of Marvel film. Uh, and Adam, your website again, man. 
Uh, the, uh, it's focusnewspaper.com. All right. You can find Adam's work there, and uh, you can also uh, just follow his work there as well. And you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, just look for Cinema Scene and interact with us there. And um, always you can download any of the archive shows just by going to wgwg.org and look for the SoundCloud link. Till next time, I'm Noel Manning. That's Adam Long, and this is Cinema Scene on Gardner Webb University Radio. Until next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>